Only last week, I was talking to my dear friend, Justin Worldly, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and saying how terrible I thought it was when people sort of did, were name droppers. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to drop some names today. Uh, three, three really important people. Uh, one of them, the Lord himself. We're going to drop, name drop Jesus a lot in the course of uh, this, uh, these reflections. But also, I'm going to name drop about meeting the Pope and the Queen. <laughs> just so I just thought I'd say it up front, you know, so that you didn't think I'm complete um, name dropper. But I want to start with the Pope, with Francis, because um, if we're thinking about, uh, about Jesus who says, I am the light of the world, just think of, you have seen the scenes in the news of Pope Francis going to Lesbos and um, specifically going to say to those uh, refugees from Syria and from elsewhere too, who've made those dangerous journeys um, uh, by land and sea to the fringes of Europe, he said, I've come to tell you you're not on your own. And he's taken, I think, three families of Muslim uh, Syrians who've been burnt out of their home, burned and bombed out of their homes, back with him to Rome, uh, to be looked after, in the first instance, by the Santa Giudio community, which uh, I have links with, in Rome, and that's where I it was meeting with that community in Rome that I, I met Pope Francis. And what was very interesting is that we were meeting in this big hall, thousands of people in this hall, and it took him more than half an hour to arrive from when he came into the hall. He spent a whole half an hour meeting with people, um, kissing people, holding handicapped people in his arms before he ever got to the stage where all the, the bishops and people like me were. We were the least important people in the room to him. Um, he was there to be with, with God's people. And by his going to, to Lesbos, um, Francis was not just a gesture. What Francis was seeking to do was to shine a light on a terrible situation that in so many ways we in the West have got wrong. To shine a light on this terrible situation and to, for these people to know, Christian, Muslim, anybody who was there, that he had come to be a witness to the light of Jesus Christ. Because just think about this arresting claim that Jesus makes, I am the light of the world. And you think about uh, all the darkness that we see in the world, the darkness um, of people's grief, of course, and we would all perhaps have an experience of that, the darkness that um, many, many people live in, a darkness of fear, of separation, of, of greed, and the darkness that we, that, you know, we know that um, in the middle of the night is when um, um, many very elderly people are wide awake and most conscious of their pains, and also at the time of the night when people who are um, upset and afraid and tired of life, are most likely to think about suicide. We also know that um, if we don't keep paying attention to situations, in other, to dark situations in other parts of the world, if, if evil people do not think we are watching, then in that darkness they will do even worse things. So this contrast between the darkness that we know is so much, so much part of our life woven into our lives to think that and to be assured today in this 
great assertion, this wonderful assertion from Jesus when he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To think that in the midst of all of that darkness, there's that call to light and life. Um, I'm, um, uh, I'm old, fairly old, and, um, but I'm very blessed in still having my mother alive. And a while ago, I was staying with my mum with my and my stepfather, and I was out late. And I came home, and I, I opened the door, and I took my shoes off, uh, as though I was 17 again, and I crept, and I knew which stairs to avoid with the creaks in the darkness. And I got to the top of the stairs, and I heard this voice say, and where have you been? I said, Mother, I'm 58 years old. We can talk about this in the morning. No, now we'll do. She said, where have you been? I said, um, well, out. And she said, I'm sorry. And I said, I'm sorry, it's, but it, it overran. But I said, well, we can talk about this in the morning. She said, no, no, it's my privilege to worry about you while I'm alive. And if you think this is a voice of love coming out of the darkness, this is a voice of love that's, that um, will uh, love me at least to the end of her life and then, play, play, praise God, praying for the coming of the kingdom in heaven with all of us. But if you think that's just my mum, you think about Jesus speaking to us into our darkness and saying, I will love you forever because I am the light and you can walk in this life, in this light and enjoy the light of life. And Jesus is, when he's talking about himself in this way, of course he's drawing upon um, the whole Hebrew tradition. He's drawing upon like Psalm 56, where the psalmist talks about um, walking before God in the light of life. Perhaps even more vividly, he's maybe thinking about, uh, alluding to Exodus, where you know the, the Israelites are being led by God, this, by the pillar of flame, leading them to the promised land. But Jesus doesn't need these references to what's gone before because as he declares himself to be the light of the world we're immediately reminded of eight chapters before the prologue to John's gospel in which we are reminded again that the word was made flesh that this word made flesh is the light is the life um, for all of us and this is the light of all people the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So this is the claim that Jesus makes, that he is who he is. He is um, the son of the eternal God. He is the word made flesh. God come to earth to take on our flesh, to take on our life in order to change it, to bring light and life and hope to us through his cross and resurrection. But he doesn't come as a celebrity. Um, um, anybody here want to be famous? Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> um, I have a niece who wants to be famous. And I said, well, famous for what, darling? She said, no, I just want to be famous. But it wouldn't be marvellous if we gained a name for the risks that we take for, for Jesus Christ that we had a name for our holiness of life. These may be things we don't know about ourselves, other people see in us. But Jesus doesn't come to be a celebrity. 
with a light shining on him, here I am, folks, um, the light of Jesus shines out from him, not onto him, and the light shines out of him because of his being perfectly in union with the Father. He is a guiding light because what we see in him, we see, we see of the Father. This is this extraordinary union. So that um, these Pharisees um, saying, well, you can't testify, you need, you need at least two witnesses. And Jesus said, I don't need any other witness to testify me other than my Father. Because we're completely united as one. But of course, those Pharisees um, are going in a different direction from Jesus. You know how, how often um, some of us um, can be very frightened of the big picture. We hang on to what's really secure. We hang on to the rules. Um, <laughs> as a bishop, I'm supposed to be the founder of rules, but um, quite often, don't tell Matthew, but quite often um, I just sort of uh, close my ears and my eyes and say, well, let, let things flourish for a bit. <laughs> but actually, these Pharisees, we can be like them, can't we? We can stick to the rules, we can um, take comfort in being, you know, being the good people. You know, we can ex- either knowingly or unknowingly exclude other people. Oh, well, you're not welcome here. That's my seat. You can't sit there. Um, at the earlier service, I was uh, talking about when I was a, a very junior minister and um, got involved on a pretty, very tough estate in the parish where I was working in Gateshead, which is a pretty tough place anyway. And, um, and I got, quite a, got a lot of these young people um, to come to church and explore faith, and the rest of the congregation blanked them because these were children from Stonygate. We don't like them. Um, but one of those boys who came to faith in that time from Stonygate, this really, really disadvantaged place, he came to church. Every time he came to church or to a Bible study, every time he went home and got beaten up by his dad and his brother for going to church. But next week, he was back. So these Pharisees, narrowing everything down, narrowing everything down to the rules... But Jesus says, if you do this, then you're moving in the opposite direction to me. You're going down as I am above. You think, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going away to my father, and you interpret this as, I'm going to die, and, you know, they just can't see. They can't see beyond their own nose, which in my case, is, of course, is quite a long way, but anyway, they, they can't see beyond the end of their own nose, that what this dialogue is about is not just some kind of clever, clever toing and froing between articulate religious people. This is about choice. This is a really serious choice between life and death. Now, Jesus says to them, I don't judge like you. You know, we can, we can um, tend to think sometimes, or people can say of us, that we Christians... Uh, are very <clears throat> judgmental. Well, of course, we know that we ourselves stand under judgment and that it's really good that God judges and not we judge. But, of course, God does judge us. To say that it doesn't matter whether we choose 
to follow Jesus or not doesn't matter. The choice is, is vital. It's a life, really fundamentally life-changing choice to walk in the light of Christ. But he judges us with a light that's not glaring. You know that, um, we have that idea of an interrogation with a light shining in our face. Um, I don't know how many people here. Um, I was at a church last Sunday and um, uh, asked people um, how many people moisturised. So I ask you, anybody here admits to moisturising? <laughs> Very good. Um, the point is that very often the way we attend to our skin is that, like me, you think you're still 18, you're just affected by gravity. <laughs> but actually, the light which Christ shines upon us, his light, is not a light, a, a light to glare us, to, to concentrate on our wrinkles and our blemishes. It's a light which is a balm to us, a light which is healing for us. That's what the light of Christ is. A light which invites us into life. Now, many of us have known what it is to fear, not to want to step into the light. Maybe because the darkness is comfortable. It's a good cover for us, for our comfortable sins. Or we think, I've got no gifts. Why should I be in the light? Well, today is, in the Church of England, is Vocation Sunday. And today is a day when we reflect particularly about the fact that all of us are called. Every single one of us is called to uh, be a name dropper for Jesus, to be witnesses for him. And in, in all of that, we need to be thinking about our own calling. I tweeted earlier this morning, because I have a national responsibility for education, I tweeted that we need more and more Christian teachers and head teachers in our schools. And that vocation, hurrah, <laughs> you're the head teacher over here. Um, and... We, do, we say this because um, I believe that being a teacher is just as much as important a vocation as being ordained or any other um, vocation that Christians might have. But this is only possible because we walk in the light of Christ. We heard that Jesus was addressing these Pharisees um, where they store the treasures in the temple. Now, um, I don't know whether Matthew regularly preaches to you by the safe, um, but it seems rather, in the first instance, a rather strange place for Jesus to be addressing people. But as I was um, happily um, informed after the, uh, the early service this morning, because one of the things that uh, William Barclay, among other uh, writers about the scripture, um, says about this is that Jesus is talking to people who are very concerned about the physical riches of the temple. People who are driven by money, by bringing in the temple tax. So Jesus is speaking to them right where their heart is. And as we are celebrating Jesus as the light of the world today, we need to be thinking about where is our treasure where is Jesus speaking to us, close to the things that we treasure which we maybe need to, to give up and let go? Because this is a real, this contact between these Pharisees and with Jesus is an urgent confrontation, an urgent confrontation for them to be changed. He could, in his exasperation with them, say, 
He said, well, why do I talk to you? This confrontation is serious, but he says he's not going to give up talking to them because they will see, when he is raised up on the cross, they will see what their treasure really ought to be. And what your treasure and my treasure really ought to be, which is him giving his life for us, for seeing off our sin and inviting us into resurrection light with him. The other bit of name dropping is um, about the Queen. You all know on Thursday it's the Queen's 90th birthday and um, we should pray that she be mightily blessed uh, and uh, and given renewed strength um, at this extraordinary time in her life still to be you know, doing more than 300 engagements a year when other people of her age are, or are sleeping quietly <laughs> or watching telly. This is a woman who's still out and about being of service, being an example of what it is to be a servant of Christ, to be a light for him. Um, I went to uh, Church of England Bishops. Uh, I was invited once in our time to go and spend a weekend at Sandringham. And I went quite early on in my time as a, as, as a bishop. Uh, it was terrifying experiences of my life, even down to what clothes to wear. <laughs> and uh, it was extraordinary um, that the Queen is about, um, was, well, difficult for someone this, this size to judge other people's height, but she's tiny. And, um, and it goes to show that just being physically tiny doesn't have anything to say about how big a person you are. <laughs> What an extraordinary presence to be in. And all the way through the weekend, seeing the way she paid attention to people in church, um, uh, outside church, in the house with her guests, everything was focused on attending to others. And that's characterised all of her life and this long reign as our Queen. And we give thanks that she's an example of what it is to be a light for Christ. And at the end of this service, we're going to give Matthew and Esther and, and to Matthew and Sarah as, as his parents, we're going to give them a lighted candle. And they're going to lead us out of church, um, into the, into, outside to the world, because you two and Izzy and each one of us is a light lit by the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ. The light of the world has come. And he is a light that cannot be extinguished. No darkness will ever overcome his love for the world, for you and me. And each one of us is a light shining in the darkness for him. Be a light for the light of the world. Amen.